and welcome to this week's Women's Energy Council podcast. Um, today I'm speaking with Fatima Hussain, Managing Director, Oil and Gas Corporate Finance at Standard Chartered Bank. Over the next half an hour, Fatima and I are going to be speaking about her passion for emerging markets, her positivity around the financial market and the need for strong, flexible organisational structures that enable diversity and inclusion, as well as the importance of mentors and sponsors. So Fatima, great to see you today. Great to hear from you. Fatima, to start, maybe you can tell me a little bit more about your journey. So where did you get started and how did your career or kind of education and career progress to where you are today? Hi, Amy. I guess in terms of where my career started, I'm a career banker. So I've been in banking since the day I left university when I joined a graduate program with an Australian bank at the time, ANZ Investment Bank. I in my mind, I'd always wanted to be a banker, which is a, is a bizarre thing to say, I think. But it was kind of instilled in me, if I'm honest, from my mum, because she was in banking, more as a, actually a PA to someone, I guess, quite senior in various banks she worked in. And she'd come home and say to me, one day, I think you, I'd like you to be a banker. Absolutely no. <laughs> Didn't really know what it entailed. But she, you know, except that you, you know, this idea that means you're going to get paid a lot of money. You're doing exciting <laughs> things and all of that. So uh, <laughs> it was, there was no sort of, um, I suppose, uh, real thinking behind it beyond that. So banking was, was in my mind. And actually, I suppose at school, I really enjoyed certain subjects like maths and economics. And, and I ended up doing a, an economics degree at Cambridge. And basically, all of the economics cohort at Cambridge ended up in sort of three areas. You're either a banker, an accountant or a management consultant. That seemed to be the three routes uh, post-graduation. And actually, interestingly, when uh, you know I was applying for roles at bank, I actually also considered the Bank of England, actually, the regulatory side. But ANZ offered me the opportunity to work overseas. You know, they were an international emerging markets focused bank, at least, you know, at the time I joined the bank in London. And they started me in my journey on the oil and gas side, interestingly. So when I joined the bank, I was put directly into, a, at the time, an energy and infrastructure team. They did, the bank had decided not to do the usual graduate rotations with their um, graduate intake that year, but were putting the individuals into specific teams that they felt suited their strength based on the interview process and the interactions they'd had during the interview process. So I was put into an energy and infrastructure team, which very quickly was itself split into an oil and gas and a mining team. And I ended up in this newly created oil and gas team as obviously the most junior person as the graduate associate in that team. And, you know, at the time, the focus was very much, uh, it was project finance focus team. And I've continued sort of in that sort of structured debt trajectory, but focused very much at the time on uh, downstream predominantly rather than upstream and Middle East Asia focused. And I really, really enjoyed it. I enjoyed I enjoyed the clients that I got to meet and as part of that process project that I was involved in. And I'd say sort of throughout my career, I've stayed within that sector, moving be you know across the value chain over my career, sort of, you know, and now predominantly focused on the upstream, but starting on the downstream, spent a lot of time doing offshore and midstream when I, I moved across to Singapore sort of in the early 2000s, again with ANZ, and spent a few years there working with on shipping deals on FPSO 
financings and things like that and then coming back to London. I, so I've always stayed in oil and gas and also always, I think, stayed in it with a predominant emerging markets focus. Obviously, in markets, uh, we very much focus on at Standard Chartered, where I am now and where I, I now head up the oil and gas project finance team. You know, the, the focus is very much on emerging markets, Africa, uh, Middle East, Asia, and, you know, working across the oil and, oil and gas value chain with clients and helping to fund some of their projects in those regions. It's been a real interesting journey. And I say sort of, you know, I've been a banker the whole time. I see myself very much as an oil and gas banker and have picked up so much about the industry despite not having sort of a you know a sort of a technical background over the last you know 20 plus years what do you think it was about you your skills and interests that you think meant you were positioned or placed into the energy and infrastructure team as opposed to any others because it's then become just kind of serendipitous that that's then you know become such an interest for you as well I don't think it was anything to do with the sector itself that they, they put me in that team. But I, it was a team that was, was you know, sort of within a corporate finance, structured finance division. I think what they saw in someone like me was, you know, the analysis and analytical sort of, I guess, aspects of, you know, my skill set. It, it was a client facing team. So I guess they saw something in terms of my ability to interact with people. And, you know, I think that was more of the reason they put me in into that team. I can't genuinely say that they would have thought I was capable of, you know, sort of understanding the sector as such. But practically in banking, I think people, you know, people pick up specialties as they go, as they you know, progress their career. For sure. And what is it about, obviously you said, you know, especially at Standard Charter, kind of focus has been on the emerging markets. What is it about the emerging markets that is, you know, that's interesting to you and kind of keeps you passionate about it? I think it's the variety of companies and people you interact with. I think that's actually the my most favorite part of the job i think in this sector you know you're dealing across the i guess the whole gamut from oil majors to mid caps to indigenous companies and we see a lot of indigenous companies particularly in you know africa and asia sort of as the, you know there's a real drive to ensure local content in a lot of the markets we operate in as well as the national oil companies so i i, I like the sort of the different cultures we deal with the different sort of personalities the different mindsets I, I like the variety in the job. I like the fact that the oil and gas sector is, you know, it's such an interesting sector because it's strategic and it, it's not just, you know, industry fundamentals. There are geopolitics involved. There's so many different factors that that come into play in, in something strategic like the oil and gas sector, which really makes, I think, for a sort of a, a really interesting, you know, uh, interesting uh, focus area, but also differences and different dynamics in either any client or project or country or issue that we're dealing with. Sure. Do, do you obviously you've worked in various different countries, and and I'm, I have no doubt that in pre-COVID times you were doing a, a lot of travel to different places as well. Are there any particular regions or, or countries that you feel you have a real affinity affinity to? I I love working in Africa actually. So that's really come to the fore in Standard Charles. We're on, on the ground, have been present in continent for over 100 years, 150 years. And, you know, you can't really actually say, oh, I, I have, you know, you can't sort of paint a sort of a blanket picture of any one continent. But what I like, I, I did, I've spent a lot of time working on projects in Nigeria, in Ghana, now doing 
fair bit in East Africa. And what I, I really love is the warmth of, you know, of the clients we work with. Uh, the fact that uh, we, I did a lot of work in Mozambique uh, a few years ago. Sort of your, particularly with the national oil companies or the indigenous companies, you kind of really feel like you can make a difference in helping develop and grow you know grow the company or grow grow their understanding and capacity building and so on and the you know the personalities the warmth the fact that you know the clients remember you and they're always very interested in me as a person and and so on it's, it's quite nice it goes sort of beyond just sometimes a business relationship but I like that that what we do makes a difference yeah, I agree. I think certainly in Africa, my experience has been feeling like you're part of a family when you walk into Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. some of these organisations, which makes the job a lot more enjoyable, definitely. And what about Standard Chartered itself? So you've, you've been there for, I think you said it's going to be 15 years in October, so almost your anniversary. What is it yep. that keeps you interested and excited and, and wanting to work for the organisation, for the bank? I get it's the focus area of the bank so it, it is you know its footprint sort of fits in very well I think with sort of the the countries and the types of clients and projects that you know I, I get to get involved in makes it very interesting I think as an organization you know this will be the longest I've spent any organization but I I like fact that the people I work with at Standard Charter are also so cultural diverse and where you know I have the opportunity to work with colleagues across the globe and really you know nice collegiate people and and I like the fact that you know I've been given the opportunity with Standard Chartered in the in the last 15 almost 15 years to you know take on a leadership position that they've they've trusted me to you know try and grow grow a business and have recognized I guess some qualities in me that sort of given me sort of the responsibilities I currently have so I feel like I you know I'm respected and supported in the bank so happy to work for them. Well, talking of uh, being in a, in a leadership position during this time, obviously the last six months have thrown another couple of hurdles at the oil and gas industry. What has that meant for Standard Chartered and, and for your role within the organisation and kind of the, the leadership that I guess you, you know, you've had to display mm-hmm. at times? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, for sure it's been a challenging few months. I mean, it's been challenging for everyone, I guess, on a personal level. And, you know, part of, I guess, there's two aspects. There's sort of the business side, but there's also the, you know, taking care of the team and and making sure colleagues are all okay and coping with such a sort of dramatic change in working environment. I think on the oil and gas side, you know, a lot of the focus, particularly in, I think, the initial periods of pandemic and particularly in the sort of the, the worst points of the oil price crash, you know, a lot of my time was spent really just looking at the portfolio, looking at, you know, the what our clients needed, you know, their positions, uh, I guess, their liquidity and, and financial flexibility and, and providing as much reassurance, certainly internally to management and risk committees in terms of the robustness and resilience of our existing portfolio, but also trying to identify if there were any vulnerabilities and how can help, what can we do, what can we, you know, being there for the client and seeing if uh, there was a way to manage through the worst of the price crash and, and pandemic. And obviously we're not out of the woods yet, but touch wood, you know, it's been, um, pretty resilient I would say you know we've I don't anticipate any real 
losses on on our side. I think what's key for us is sort of just to keep everyone calm. And that's been part of the role over the last few months is just to make sure that I'm on top of everything in terms of banks port, you know, the exposure. And now it's great to see that, you know, we're seeing some shoots of recovery and actually there are opportunities to look for growth and opportunities to support some of our clients in terms of actually developing their portfolios or growing their portfolios. So that's been it's been a, a challenging few months but actually I think we're behind the worst of it and we're just hoping that there's not a further deterioration towards the end of the year. Yes it's quite reassuring to hear some positivity. (laughs) Where do you see those initial kind of shoots of recovery coming from? There's always winners and losers uh, when you go through an oil price cycle and obviously this is um, quite we're in a different sort of cycle from the last one in 2015 but I think those clients that have the um, the financial flexibility liquidity banking relationships and the continued confidence of their investors and lenders have a real opportunity to make acquisitions to grow their portfolio and really re-look at, at you know managing their overall portfolio so a lot of what we're seeing is you know the opportunity of our acquisitions even now some of our clients you know a lot of them have put developments on hold rightly you know everyone's been looking at costs and deferring high sort of large capex spends and and i think now a lot of those opportunities are sort of coming back on the table i suspect there'll be a much more aggressive ramp up in 2021 but certainly we're looking at supporting some of our clients on potential acquisitions and divestments over the last couple of months then obviously you said one of the things that's been key has been for you to stay calm and to keep the the rest of the team calm are there any kind of key learnings that you think you've learned as as a leader throughout this time that you can take with you and implement as you move forward in in your role and in your career I think the keep a cool head is one. Sometimes it can feel like, particularly if you're, you know, if you're an oil and gas banker now, we're all in the oil and gas sector. You know, there's so much additional noise around the sector, and I'm sure we will discuss in due course. But you know, the whole evolution and dynamics around environmental concerns. So that was always, you know, that's been growing. So it's, you know, a lot of the work that I've been involved in and within bank is also in the last year or more actually focused on you know how as a bank and as a, a you know a business product head you know how are we supporting that overall evolution in the sector and then you get the covid the pandemic the price crash and then the, you know the focus immediately is on okay what are the risks to the portfolio what are the risks to our clients what you know what from this and sometimes you, it can feel overwhelming when you're bombarded with requests to review portfolios produce papers do the analysis and you know we we did this in 2015 very comfortably we had lessons learned from the last down cycle which i think has helped incredibly in terms of the resilience of our portfolio today and where we are the key i think has been to try and convey a confidence in your beliefs and your comfort around at least you know your the portfolio that i manage the clients that i work with and not get too focused on the negativity because i think what you have to do is really take a longer term view and look at the longer term fundamentals in everything you do and certainly in everything 
everything that we do and I do in, in my day-to-day -day job is very much looking at the longer-term risk profiles of you know the project finance facilities that I work on or the you know reserve-based lending facilities that we offer so you know you're trying to convey to all of the internal management senior management risk committees that actually when you take a long take a step back and take a longer term view of the fundamentals we are not really facing a huge amount of risk you know right now what he is supporting clients through the difficulties in the near term but actually the long term fundamentals remain strong well, talking of the longer term, you know, I think last year, certainly the majority of, of people were talking about obviously ESG and the energy transition. The last few months, you know, I appreciate the focus has been in, in different areas and, and for many people on, on kind of survival. Mm. But where does that leave those topics moving forwards for Standard Chartered and how are you guys approaching it? I mean, ESG is a huge focus, but the, the whole sustainability agenda has, you know, the highest levels of support within Standard Charter. So I guess there's two things. There's, uh, you know, the, the commitments the bank has made on the overall sustainability agenda. And, you know, as part of that, there is a big focus on supporting some of those initiatives on with our oil and gas clients in particular on the energy transition side. We have a big team that's, you know, has spent time talking to all of our clients around the whole transition, what can be done to support in their initiatives. We, as a, again, as an oil and gas banker, but for, for so many years, uh, you know, the heat of, I guess, the tide of sentiment around ESG and the awareness of that topic has sort of, I think, taken a lot of us by surprise uh, over the last couple of years in terms of sort of how quickly things seem to be moving on energy transition and ESG. And rightly so, I think it's great that's happening and, and there's a focus on this. And actually what we're seeing is a lot of our clients are very, very conscious and sensitive to this and are actively looking to at their operations and what they can be doing better. For us as a bank, what that's meant is we've been very focused in ensuring that all of the activities that we're involved in with our oil and gas lines are done to standards that are in alignment with the bank's position statements and environmental policies. That's always been the case, frankly, for, for many years. But clearly, there is even more scrutiny on that currently on a go forward basis. And now what we're seeing, I think, is we're really looking for where are the opportunities from energy transition? And there's so many, you know, with clients in terms of, you know, their uh, potential investments. And obviously, we're seeing a lot of that with the oil majors in particular, with sort of some of their public announcements and investments in, in some of the clean tech opportunities. But then with our mid caps and our national oil companies, one thing we're, you know, we're looking at and wanting to support them is, you know, what are the things that they can do operationally to improve improve emissions and environmental impact and with and in particular in the markets where it continues to play an important role in the overall global energy mix for the foreseeable future and it's something that I think as a bank what we want to do is make sure that we are being as responsible as possible and helping as much as possible in doing that in an environmentally friendly way. We did a debate a couple of months ago on whether the events of the last couple of months, so the oil price crash and COVID, whether those events would accelerate or decelerate the energy transition. The audience were pretty mixed. It was kind of 50-50. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? 
everything I'm seeing, I think I'd say accelerate or keep on the same trajectory. I don't think there will be a step back on energy transition for sure. I think that the momentum's there, the direction of travel you know was established a while ago and if anything i think you know there is a more resolute focus and ambition to ensure delivery on the energy transition side certainly that's coming on the financial side and regulatory side everything that i'm seeing is that there is not going to be a slowdown in energy transition yeah it was i was surprised actually by the division in the in the audience i thought there might be more people with the same viewpoint as that but it was yeah it was mixed maybe it would be different now i think that was in the midst of the crisis and, and perhaps now with a little bit more space between the, the beginning and <laughs> and how we yes. are today but yeah it might be different again well i want to talk as well a little bit about diversity and inclusion because you know obviously one of the reasons that we're speaking today is that you have been voted in as part of the 275 influential women Women leaders in oil and gas, part of the Oil and Gas Council's uh, women leadership list. And so I, I guess it would be interesting to hear from you. Have you seen a change in the way diversity and inclusion is discussed and actioned in, in both the finance and the oil and gas industry since you started? And if you have, how? And if you haven't, why do you think that is? <laughs> I guess it's fair to say both banking and oil and gas have been historically sort of more of a male dominated sector. And, you know, I guess in the early part of my career, I maybe it would be, I would say it was more obvious that there were very few female leaders, I suppose, or role models to look up to. And it wasn't a topic of conversation, frankly, 20 years ago. The diversity discussion, I don't think, was really at the fore, certainly that I was aware of through my career. I think it's really in the five seven years, maybe we're sort of hearing a lot more about doing more, what can we do to support more diversity in, I guess, it both in banking and, and oil and gas. Interestingly, at Standard Chartered, you know, when I joined Standard Chartered 15 years ago, we actually had quite a few women in the oil and gas team. In fact, I think we had more women than men in the oil and gas team, <laughs> uh, which is great. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and actually, I really benefited from working with some really good, quite senior and female colleagues, as well as, you know, senior male colleagues. I've learned from both. It is, but you know, you kind of do get used to sometimes just being the only woman in a meeting, and I still do that. I still see that. I, you know, I'll come in, go in into uh, meetings where there may be eight, nine, ten people, and you're the only woman around the table, which is which is a shame. But increasingly, given the recognition that there needs to be more even representation, and actually, I think studies have shown that organisations with a good gender diversity actually do better financially they're you know fortunate to be part of a number of initiatives certainly within standard chartered which is really looking at, at improving female representation at senior levels that there are commitments that the bank have made and you know men and as part of that you know there's mentorship schemes with a sort of more junior female uh, staff we are very focused on that from a hiring perspective as well so there's certainly the initiatives there i think to and, and a recognition that more needs to be done to ensure that more female Females are attracted into the industry. And similarly, on, on the oil and gas side, at least, you know, uh, interestingly, I think more so perhaps in some of the emerging markets that we work in, there's actually a lot of female senior leadership 
in a lot of these organizations with you know with other national companies or some of the local companies that we work with so i'm definitely seeing a lot more female representation and very very skilled i think female engineers coming out now of university and feeling more empowered to look and consider opportunities in the oil and gas sector generally you know, I, I'm not certainly saying that more needs to be done, particularly, I think, at the more senior levels. And I can only speak for, I guess, more for banking generally. There is still not enough senior female representation in banking. And while there's a focus on trying to change that, I think you know, one of the things that makes it difficult, and I, I've seen that because I've had some really, really good female staff seen a lot of uh, former colleagues who've left the organization not because they don't like you know what bank or or the work they do but i think that what's clear is you know when trying to have a balance with family life and work life sometimes i guess some of the hours we do and the travel we do is not so compatible with managing to also spend quality time with the family and i, and I think part of the things that we need to think about is structurally how can we what create a better work environment that allows these very talented women to continue to contribute to to work life and to the organization you know while also being able to have a family and have that level of balance work-life balance yeah. it's not so easy yeah. sometimes in the industry we're in and um the the work commitments that we have to make i am um, when i was preparing for for us uh, chatting today i was reading something i think you mentioned in a on a panel that you were on a couple of months ago might have been longer and, and you said something around the structural problems that exist like you say in organizations that mean we can't always juggle when we need to juggle <laughs> yeah what could be done i mean what what are those structural problems and what kind of senior leaders within businesses do about it it, you know, it, 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 yeah, I, so I, uh, it, it's actually brought, that came up, um, I was on um, International Women's uh, Day, I was on a, speaking on a panel in Oxford around sort of, you know, career progression for women and opportunities. And, and actually, there was a, a very robust debate in the audience, you know, with some of the students, and these were, these were um, sort of mature students sort of saying some of the challenges they felt. I think the difficulty is, you know, I guess in terms of what I do and what we're doing, we're, we are client focused, we're there to support a client and we work to deadlines, you know, driven by our clients. Fundamentally, that means sometimes it's very hard to sort of pre-plan your schedule. I am very fortunate in the sense that I, my husband actually was a teacher. He gave up his teaching job to look after our children because we really, really struggled when both of us were working with childcare, particularly if you have to travel at short notice or you have to work late into the night because of a deadline. You know, it's just unfair, I think, to try and manage that with children when both parties are working. So yeah. I, I consider myself incredibly lucky to have a, uh, you know, a husband who's, who was prepared to give up his career and look after the children full time. So, you know, so that I could, you know, I could give my best to the job. That's not, uh, that's not feasible for everyone. And I know a lot of my colleagues, a lot of former colleagues who've had to leave the industry because they just, couldn't manage and and rightly don't want to you know no one wants to sacrifice and shouldn't sacrifice family life and a, a fair work-life balance you know and it, so you, I guess things like being able to work from home more I think the period that we're in now has shown that you can manage your timeline you can work from home be productive and still you know be able to to spend time with family to be able to do 
drop-offs, pickups. Well, I suppose that's not happening so much now, but you know, yeah. you know, homeschooling and all of that sort of <laughs> yeah. stuff. I, and I suppose fundamentally, if there was a way that uh, employers were were able to offer a lot more flexibility around, you know, their staff being able to work from home or work part time, and sort of, I think then we could really harness a lot of a lot of you know highly qualified and uh, staff and it'd be a shame to lose them because we weren't able to offer that level of flexibility and I think what it means is also a change of mindset for those people who you know who don't want that level of flexibility happy to come into the office work hour you know long hours maybe not in a similar position but I think everyone needs to support each other and not feel any kind of you know resentment around how people work differently as long as I think fundamentally we're all working together, you know, delivering on what we're supposed to deliver, there must be more flexible ways to do that to allow, you know, those of us who need to manage uh, family life and family commitments alongside your work commitments. Well, that aside, your husband sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I've just got a few final questions for you. The first is what advice would you give women who are either entering the industry today or those who are already in it but are looking to kind of progress to the next stage of their career? So my career advice to everyone that comes in, first and foremost, what will take you through your career is, you know, you're being good at what you do. Do the best in everything that you're tasked with. Be reliable, be as, I suppose, as interested and motivated as possible in anything that you're given because what really carries you through i think first fundamentally is people wanting to work with you people having a good opinion of you and trusting what you do so really at the early early stages of your career and this is what i did was really just get on with it work hard be as helpful as possible be as reliable as possible create a good impression with all the people around that you're working with because it's amazing how much that can carry you good word of mouth people do notice now that in and of itself i would say is not enough <laughs> having now you know <laughs> gone through that career journey because i've seen a lot of women who you know do exactly that and hope that they get recognized you need that fundamentally you're not going to get far in your career without having at least the strong fundamentals and that positive sort of view of everyone that works with you and comes across your abilities but beyond that what you then need i think is really then that confidence to also be very open about your abilities and your aspirations because if you don't ask you don't get that you know i think when i think about sort of my career progression on a couple of occasions i had to ask i had to question you know why wasn't i being considered for a promotion for example or why wasn't i given this you know and it's because i think if you just think everyone will just notice keep your head down work hard that's not good enough i think you've got to be able to ask and question and be confident to be able to do that and that's something that sometimes i notice that now when you know i work across both you know female and male colleagues and who work within my team and sort of have worked in the past for me you know quite often uh, and this is huge generalizations but quite often the guys would be quite open about career aspirations promotion and pushing and women don't tend to do that as much they're just very grateful for positive reinforcement when actually I think sometimes we need to be a little bit more pushy and to ensure that our our ambitions as long as you can sort of follow up with your capabilities there is absolutely no reason why you shouldn't ask and have a very open conversation around what what do I need to do to get to the next stage of my career well and it's a good segue into my last question (laughs) 
in terms of next steps what would you say is kind of the one career goal that you still have on your to-do list do you know what amy i didn't expect to be where i was today where i am today to be honest <laughs> when i i say all this now with the benefit of hindsight and experience but when i started in my career i was i thought gosh i'll give it a few years see how it goes i'm not sure i'm cut out for this and I certainly had no leadership aspirations whatsoever for a very long time, actually, until actually I, I started, you know, seeing the opportunity and, and actually having very good mentors and leaders who saw something in me and have sort of put me in, I guess, positions of responsibility, which, which I'm very proud of. I suppose in terms of next steps, I don't know. I mean, I've spent all my career in banking, but actually with such a specific focus on the oil and gas side, I think perhaps for me at some point in the future, I'd be keen to see the corporate side to have a look at sort of, you know, what I could contribute on sitting on the other side of the table, so to speak, given the experiences and I've had on the finance side. And, and I think that really is sort of I suppose and it is sort of an interesting move away sort of just moving staying in purely on, in banking yeah so maybe more moving more onto the corporate side is I suppose an obvious logical next step nice well watch this space <laughs> <laughs> well listen thank you so much it's been such a pleasure speaking to you and, and hearing about your kind of journey and and as well as your your learnings and aspirations so thank you and um and we'll look forward to, to speaking to you again soon Thank you very much. Thank you, Amy.